Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. If you have uh, uh, little ones, we're kind of talking about a grown-up topic today, so I'm, I'm going to say maybe PG-13, so if your uh, kiddo is not ready for a PG-13 uh, sermon, uh, then you might want to take them to our amazing kids' ministry over here to my right and your left. Just walk out those doors. You can't miss the sign, and uh, somebody will get your kid kiddo checked in. Uh, that would be fantastic. Turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 2, Proverbs chapter 2. So we've been in this series on relationships, learning how to navigate both smooth and stormy relational seas. We've talked about singleness. Uh, we've talked about friendship. Last week in Cyprus, I talked about marriage and kind of long story short on that. Your marriage is more uh, about more than just a bride and a groom. Uh, the purpose of your marriage is to declare the unending greatness of Jesus. And that's why marriage is so important, not just because it's great to have a great marriage, but it says something about the way that Jesus feels about the church. And then today, we are going to talk about dangerous relationships. Proverbs chapter 2, the scripture is going to specifically talk about adultery, but uh, we're going to back it up a little bit and refer to it as a dangerous relationship for two reasons. Number one, not all of us in here are married, uh, but this passage of scripture is still very relevant uh, to you. The other reason, I think a lot of people think of an affair or adultery as something that happens the moment two married people are in a bed somewhere, somewhere without their clothes on, that that is the affair. But the dangerous relationship started long before that. And the book of Proverbs is going to give us uh, some warnings concerning that. Now, you may be thinking, well, this seems like kind of an odd topic to talk about a church, very specific, and surely it's not that relevant to us, a good church people. Um, a, a couple of things, you are good church people, and you look good, by the way. I don't know if anybody's told you that this morning, but you look beautiful and handsome. Uh, you are good church people, but, uh, you know, I was talking with a pastor friend on Tuesday, and he was telling me about, uh, he got a phone call uh, late one night, and it was a, a man in his Bible study, and he said, I need you to come over to the house right now. My wife and I are having some trouble. She has asked if, if I would be okay having an open marriage. Uh, now, five years ago, if you would have said that you wanted an open marriage, I would think that that was a great thing, that you wanted to be open and honest. You want to be a better communicator, no secrets between you. Uh, but today, an open marriage essentially means I want to cheat on you, but I want you to know about it. And out of generosity in my heart, I'm giving you permission to cheat on me. How does that sound? And these were people, A, that not only went to his church every Sunday, but they were involved in a smaller group Bible study. So this is a relevant church uh, topic. Uh, I want to start down here on the ends of the rows, okay? And, uh, and so we're going to do like we did when we were kids. One, two, three, four, five. 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 You got it? So you guys don't need to be anything until these guys get down here, okay? We had a little trouble with this in the first service. Um, I believe in you guys. You guys look a little bit smarter. Um, so yes, if you're on the end, you're going to be a one, and then two, and then three, four, five. Everybody got it? So each row uh, on your mark, get set, go. So one, two, three, four. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Good math. You guys are just being patient over here. Love you. You're smart. Wonderful. All right. Raise your hand if you're a one. Raise, raise your hand if you're a one. Now, these people, it hadn't gotten to them yet. Okay. Here we go. Just one through five people. Raise your hand if you're a one. 
One through five. One through five. Okay, good. You, you messed it up. Oh, my gosh. It was a disaster. No, seriously. If you're a one, raise your hand. If you think maybe you're a one, raise your hand. Read an article this week in the Wall Street Journal. You can put your hands down, but you, you saw how many of us there were. Uh, one out of five people will admit that they have been unfaithful to their spouse. The same Wall Street Journal article said that actually it's one of the hardest uh, things to get a scientific study on because most people are not willing to admit when they've been unfaithful. But at one out of five would at least admit that they had been unfaithful to their spouse. So it is a relevant topic to the people in this room this morning. And it's a relevant topic to the pastor because uh, a pastor standing up on the stage on Sunday mornings admitting to having an affair is almost so common that it's a cliche. Right now in Texas somewhere, I'm sure that there is a pastor doing that exactly thing. It is a relevant topic to anybody. And I am a big subscriber in the belief that anybody can do anything at any time. Given the right set of circumstances, the right amount of temptation over time, anybody can do anything at any time. So if you're in here and you're like, my marriage is fantastic and I can't ever imagine doing that. And I would never do that. You may be most vulnerable of all. Anybody at any time, can do anything. So the book of Proverbs is going to give us some warnings today. Verse 16, Proverbs chapter 2. Verse 16, it, that's a discretion back up from verse 11. Discretion will rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a stranger with her flattering talk, who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her ways to the land of the departed spirits. None return who go to her. None reach the paths of life. So a few warnings I would love for you to write down. Warning number one, that we're headed towards a dangerous relationship. We flirt with the forbidden. Verse 16, it will rescue you from a forbidden woman. Now that may be assumed in here this morning that I don't need to say out loud that adultery is forbidden, but it is. In the big list, the top 10, the 10 commandments, do not commit adultery. A significant portion of the book of Proverbs is actually given to this topic and idea. And then Jesus not only embraces that law, he amplifies it when he says in Matthew chapter five, if you're even looking at a woman or someone not your spouse uh, lustfully, then, then you are already committing adultery. All the way through the scripture forbids adultery, but there is something alluring about the forbidden, isn't there? Adam and Eve, right? They have one rule. Don't eat the fruit from this one specific tree. And then Satan comes. And in my version of the Bible, it only takes him 42 words to change the whole trajectory of the human race. 42 words. That's all it took for him to get them to break the one rule that they had. Don't eat the fruit. 42 words, because why? There's something alluring and tempting about the forbidden. Second Peter chapter two, verse 14, Peter is talking about uh, the wicked and he says that their eyes are full of adultery. Doesn't it sound like a good description of our culture? I, I think we, we would be honest this morning and say, you know, I think my eyes are full of adultery and I don't even want them to be full of it. I'm not seeking it out. I'm not looking for it. It's just all around all the time. There was a network television show, even if you didn't watch the show, you, you couldn't help but see the commercials this past spring called Mistresses. 
It's just all around. You have coworkers who are involved. You have family members who are involved. And even though we're not looking for it and seeking it out ourselves, because it's around so much, it just becomes normal. And what becomes normal becomes hard to tempt when we are the one, hard to resist when we are the one being tempted. Our eyes are full of adultery. Warning number two, there'll be an increase in flattery. Verse 16, I will rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a stranger with her flattering talk. Now, we know from verse 1 that this is a, son, a father speaking to his son. That's why the temptress is a, a, a woman. Um, also, it's like the personification of adultery itself. The Bible is not giving the idea today that somehow that the women are the predators and the men are the helpless victims. In fact, its own stories tell us that that's not true. Most of its stories, if not all of its stories about adultery, are men uh, instigating the relationship. But here it's a woman, and it says that from a stranger with her flattering talk. Flattery literally means, and your Bible may reflect this, smooth words. It's a picture of somebody fabricating something out of metal, essentially taking a rough piece of metal and hammering it and working it through heat so that it's smooth, which is what flattery is. It's the smoothing out of the rough reality of our lives. Uh, See, there's something beautiful about the beginning of the dating process, isn't there? Right, uh, everything is unknown. Everything is a mystery. You, you you know very little about this person, and it's fun to get to know this person better, to find out their history, to find out where they're from, to go and visit uh, their hometown. You can kind of see where they went to high school and meet their family and meet their weird uncles, and then you learn uh, what their favorite food is and why they don't like this food and what the story is behind it. There's something beautiful and and fun about that in the dating process. But after you've been married for a while, there's just not honestly a lot of mystery left. You know, because by God's grace, you've been together for a long time and pretty much you know everything that there is to know. And, uh, you know, for Amanda to, to feel mysterious about me, I'd have to probably lie and make a bunch of stuff up. We've just been together for such a long time and, and that's an amazing thing, but the, there's not a lot of mystery there. Right? I remember about a year after we were married, I, I got a stomach virus kind of on me in the middle of the night and and so I woke up and I ran to the bathroom and we had a really small apartment, kind of a one bedroom deal. And, and I'm in there and I'm just going forward over the toilet. I don't mean to put any pictures in your head, but I mean, I'm really getting sick. And, and so she is startled and, and wakes up out of a deep sleep, runs in, sees what's happening to me and runs right back out, right? <laughs> which I honestly, I would do to her. Right, this is, you know, it's not natural to see a, a grown, you know, grown up uh, uh, doing that. Uh, but I promise, when we were dating, you know, the first day that we met, and she saw how handsome I was and wonderful, and she's like, "One day I'm going to see that guy throw up. I can't wait for it." <laughs> no, no, because marriage, a lot of times, is just one big TMI. Too much information. You're just around one another. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And it is a beautiful thing, but there's not a lot of mystery to it. And there's a rough reality there. And then you bring kids into that equation. And suddenly your kids are doing their business in their diaper and you're calling each other in from the other room. You know, we used to be people who would go and see museums, but now we're staring at what our children have done in cloth diapers. It's just a weird situation that you're in when you're married. And in the middle of that rough reality, a good reality, but that rough, real marriage, imagine somebody coming in and only speaking smooth words, only speaking things that you would want to hear, only speaking mysterious and unknown things to you. 
That's hard to resist. I love the word of God because it knows exactly what we need. Proverbs chapter seven, it tells us exactly what those smooth words are going to be when they come to you. That speech of seduction, Proverbs chapter seven, verse six. At the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense, crossing the street near her corner. He strolled down the road to her house at twilight in the evening, in the dark of the night. A woman came to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. She is loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the square, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, and here's the speech of seduction. Verse 14, I've made my fellowship offerings today. I fulfilled my vows. When seduction comes to you, when those smooth words come, one of the first things that they're going to say to you is uh, ease your conscience. Ease your conscience. She says, I've made my fellowship offerings. I've fulfilled my vows to God, meaning I'm religious too. You're religious, I'm religious. You believe in God, I believe in God. You go to church, I go to church. There's going to be something early on in the seduction, in the smooth words that's going to tempt you to underestimate, ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. It's going to be something along the way that's going to say, just ease your conscience. We're the same. I believe just like you. And it goes on. Verse 15, so I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I found you. Another thing that the seduction is going to say to you is, you're what I've been looking for. Isn't that nice? It's nice in the middle of our rough realities of job and work and kids and marriage and to-do lists and home repairs and all the things that are on your list, running here and there, a busy schedule, and I haven't seen you and you're working late hours. It's nice in the middle of that for somebody to come in and say, you're exactly what I've been dreaming about. I could look a whole world over and you are the one that I want. You're what I've been searching for. And our culture has changed a tremendous amount. Now there are plenty of opportunities to shop for potential mates. Found out this week, maybe you did too, that there are whole websites with millions and millions of people joining them for the sole purpose of looking for an opportunity to have an affair. These people, millions of people, literally paying money to upload their profile. It's like a dating service for people who are married. And now we have Tinder. Hopefully none of you have Tinder on your phones. Tinder is essentially shopping for somebody to hook up with. Read an article in the New York Times about uh, uh, young people in Manhattan and groups of guys will now go to clubs not to meet women, but just to be together as they open up their iPhones and swipe left to find potential women to hook up with. Meanwhile, at other clubs, groups of women are doing the same thing. People on Tinder for the sole purpose of breaking their marital vows. Essentially, what are they saying? I've been searching for you. I searched online for you and you were the most beautiful picture. I've been looking for you. And in the midst of a rough reality, that is nice to our ears. That's what we want to hear. Verse 16, I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with uh, myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. What it's saying is 
This is going to be like nothing you've experienced before. This is a whole new level. It's exotic. I mean, look at this list. Uh, coverings on my bread. Uh, bread, richly colored linen from Egypt. I didn't go down to Walmart and get the discount. I went and got the expensive stuff. I perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. This is especially alluring if all that's on your bed right now is laundry. <laughs> if there is a pair of underoos not folded on your bed... The thought of something exotic can be very appealing. This is going to be the greatest thing that you've ever experienced. Verse 18. Come, let's drink deeply, drink deeply of lovemaking until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. I, I do just want to say that I feel super awkward as I'm reading these words. I know you're feeling awkward. I'm also feeling awkward. I'm not enjoying this any more than you are. Let's feast on each other's love. What he's saying is, this is going to gratify all of your senses. All of those needs are, that not, are not being met. I'm going to meet not only those needs, I'm going to meet all of your needs. You're not going to have any needs, and you're not going to have any wants after I am finished with you. That's what seduction says. Verse 19. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey, and he took a bag of money with him, and will come home at the time of the full moon, meaning... No one will ever know. You're the one that I wanted. Ease your conscience. This is going to be the greatest thing you've ever experienced. It's going to satisfy all your senses and no one will ever know. I have a friend who's a pastor and I've heard him tell this story many times, but at one point, uh, a lady in his church, a little old lady, that's how he described her, was a, a high school teacher. And every year she would invite him to come and give a motivational speech in her classroom. And it was a great way for him to connect with uh, the students from the high school so they might end up in his church but still kind of play above the public school rules. And, and so he went, as he did yearly, and he went to her class and did his motivational speech. And after it was over, it was kind of right before lunchtime. Uh, she said, I want to take you to lunch just to say thank you. You do this every year. It's so kind. And I want my teaching partner to come with you. And uh, he said the teaching partner was the exact opposite of this little old lady. She was young and she was beautiful and she seemed nice and put together and uh, was, you know, just really striking. And, and so the three of them were going to go to lunch. And so they're kind of all walking out to the car and, uh, you know, somebody volunteers to drive. And, and at the last minute, the older lady teacher, she said, I forgot something. I'll just meet you guys over there. Don't wait for me. I'll meet you over there. And he said it was super awkward because... Because, you know, he kind of has a, a rule that he doesn't want to be alone with another woman. He loves his wife. He protects his marriage, wants to value uh, this other woman's dignity. And, and so, but it's awkward. The restaurant is literally right across the street and he'd have to be awkward about it. He just didn't want to be weird and, and we didn't want to be that guy. And, and so he didn't think it was a big deal. So he rode across the street with her. And now they're sitting down in a booth there and waiting for this uh, older teacher to come. And they wait and they wait and they wait. And she just is not taking, uh, you know, not coming soon, kind of taking her, her time. And uh, they start having small talk as you would if you were sitting down at the table with somebody you're trying to have good manners and so they just just talk where are you from what do you do you know all those kinds of things and small talk at some point turned to serious talk she started talking about how her husband was really neglecting her and just wasn't you know a good husband and wasn't a good man and here, here's his long list of things that he had done to her and she says to him you know my husband is gone he's out of town and I don't live very far from here and just let it hang in the air And that's what seduction will come and say. I'll finish my story in just a minute, but 
somewhere along the way, it's, it's going to tell you no one will ever know. Then look what it says next. She seduces him with her persisting, persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. How do you know that you're headed towards a dangerous relationship because there'll be an increase in flattery? Warning number three, there'll be patterns in their past, patterns in their past. Verse 17, who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So there's a pattern. She abandoned uh, her spouse a, a long time ago or before, and now she's looking to have this relationship uh, with this man's son. So that's a warning. There'll be something in their past. It, this is re- especially relevant if you're in a dating relationship. Look at the cycles and patterns of the person that you're dating, especially if you're a little bit older, you're not in your early 20s. There will be some patterns. And if there are some unhealthy patterns that you can see just by hearing their stories, understanding their previous relationship, then you need to beware because you may just be in the middle of one of those cycles, in the middle of one of those patterns. And if you begin a relationship with somebody or you meet somebody and their patterns are unhealthy and they're obvious, then you want to make sure that there's been change before you begin a relationship with this person. And how do you know if there's been change? A, has there been repentance? Do they admit to you that they were wrong in their previous relationship or do they just put all the blame on the other person? Have they made changes that you can see in your relationship? And then the third thing, has some time passed? Please don't be that person that says, yeah, he was really mixed up in his previous relationship, but in these last two months, man, he's really made some progress. No, there's gonna be evidence in the past the patterns of their past and dangerous relationships. Then it goes on, warning number four, there's no fear of God. Verse 17, who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. You know, the fear of God, it sounds like kind of an intense thing, but the book of Proverbs says that the fear of God is actually the beginning of wisdom. See, you don't wanna entrust yourself to anyone who is not entrusting themselves to God. You want to be with someone who fears God. You know, as I mentioned, the, the nature of uh, adultery has changed in the last few years. I think the stereotype still in most of our minds is uh, that, uh, you know, you met somebody at work and then you would rent some sleazy hotel and that's where the affair would happen. But statistically, uh, and, and media is telling us now that uh, affairs are not happening in sleazy hotel rooms. They're actually happening in living rooms. That adultery is happening online while the spouse sits across the room online. There is a myriad of new ways to be unfaithful. Can you imagine having such a lack of the fear of God that you would be unfaithful to your spouse while they're sitting in the room? That you would strike up an unnatural and unhealthy conversation with someone of the opposite sex online while the person that God has given you as a gift is sitting right there. There's no fear of God. Don't entrust yourself to someone who has not entrusted themselves to God. Warning number five, this will create for you a living hell. Verse 18, for her house sinks down to death and her ways to the land 
of the departed spirits, that down to death of the land of the departed spirits. The Bible calls that Sheol. It's the place of the dead. What it means is you will not get away consequence free. I know that's what seduction comes and tells us nobody's ever going to find out, but you will not get out of this consequence free. Um, This secret, it will be invigorating and it will be devastating. This secret will murder you from the inside out. As you take even one step forward into this dangerous relationship, you are essentially putting your life in a meat grinder. Your best days are not ahead. You won't get out of this consequence free. And just so that we're all on the same page, let me just lovingly walk you through some of the consequences. If you take a step forward into this dangerous relationship, first of all, you're going to have to break it off with the person. And you're not going to be able to control what they do. Then you're going to have to sit down with your spouse, the bride of your youth, the man of your dreams. You're going to have to look them in the eye, say it out loud. Then you're going to have to tell your parents. You're going to have to tell your friends. Your friends will be for you, but they'll know that you were wrong. And some of you are going to have to sit down with these beautiful children that God has placed under your care. And you're going to have to tell them, this is the future of those who have been tempted, trapped, dangerous relationships. Warning number six, it won't be better on the other side. This is what the word of God says in verse 19. None return who go to her. None reach the paths of life. It won't be better on the other side, but I feel like this is how a lot of Christians justify it because we know the character of God. We know the heart of God. And so somewhere in us, we think even though it started sinful, there's a chance that God can turn it spiritual. Even though it started out as a bad thing, he can make it into a good thing. But the Proverbs are actually telling us something different. They're telling us something different, that this won't be one of those things that on the other side, you'll say, I'm really glad that that happened. Now, it's true that God can redeem anyone from anything. That's true. It's true that you can't stray so far out of bounds that he doesn't bring you back in. he, He resurrects the dead. There is nothing that he can't do. That's true. But that's not justification to begin a dangerous relationship. The apostle Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter six, verse one, when he says, should we keep on sinning because we know that grace can abound? My version of the Bible says, absolutely not exclamation mark. Just because you and I know what God can do does not give us permission to do whatever we want to do. It won't be better on the other side. Some of you are in a tough marriage right now You're being tempted with a dangerous relationship. And you're thinking, well, I want out of this anyway. This is hard anyway. This may be my way of escape. He says it won't be better on the other side. So Pastor John, my friend, he's uh, sitting at this booth with this beautiful young woman who essentially said, let's go back to my house. 
and nobody will ever know. You know, what you do next says a lot about you as a person. And what he did was he stood up and he ran out of the restaurant. Then he ran across the street, he got in his car, he said, thank you, God, for rescuing me. Because that's the big takeaway from today. What happens when we see in front of us a dangerous relationship? You run. That's what we see in the Bible. Joseph, one of the patriarchs, he was a slave in Egypt, and he had been entrusted with Potiphar's house, a very powerful house, and he was really in charge of all of that, but Potiphar's wife comes after him and comes after him hard. Says all the things that Proverbs chapter 7 says. Ease your conscience. I've won you. I want you. I've been searching for you. No one will ever know. All of those things. And she grabs him at some point and he runs. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Run. You may think, well, I don't need to run. I'm strong. I got strong faith. I love my wife. I love my marriage. I know they cross the line every now and then at work, and I know they send me some emails, and I know sometimes I have to delete their text messages off my phone, but I'm strong enough to stay in the situation. You're not. Anybody at any time can do anything. Run. If you're married, run towards each other. If you're single, run towards God's future. If you're tempted, run away. And if you are guilty today, if you're like, I already blew this. I needed this message a year ago. I needed this message two years ago. I needed this message 10 years ago. Then you run to grace and mercy. There is a freedom that comes in the light that you are not currently experiencing. Now listen, there's going to be some consequences and those consequences are going to be awful. And your next couple of months are really going to be bad. But the freedom of the light is going to be worth whatever you have to endure and whatever the consequences that you have sown as you begin to reap those. We want to run. Run towards each other. Run towards God's future. Run away. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the specific help of your word seems like uh, this wouldn't be a topic that we would need this much teaching on this much these, this many written pages on Father but uh, you know us and you know where we live and you know the times and dates that we would move and live this is the word for today and so we receive it receive it today. God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus for anybody whose marriage is strained today. It's not a disaster. It's not on the brink. It's just strained. I pray pray even now that you are turning hearts of spouses back towards each other. Pray just even real specifically some husband's reaching over and grabbing the hand of his wife in a natural and authentic way just to say, I'm with you. You are the one for me. I want to be with you all the days of my life. I want no other, only you. Lord, I pray for those of, of who are being tempted right now. We pray that you would pull them back from the cliff. I pray that they would run away. They wouldn't be so eager to see what's on the other side that they fall in on accident. Lord, we put on our running shoes today. 
We don't underestimate our enemy. 42 words destroyed the world. I imagine it would take less to destroy our marriages. So give us the strength and power to run, to resist and run. We ask that this would be a place filled with strong marriages of husbands who love their wives as Christ loved the church and wives who respect their husbands. Let it be so in the name of Jesus. Amen.